0: And I remember one day I had this little dog called Geordie that just loved to go to the beach with me. I'd just say, beach, and and he would run around in circles like dogs do. In fact, I love dogs. I think dogs are better than people. People don't wag their tails when they see you coming. Dogs are just so faithful. So he ran around in circles, crazy. I grabbed my new surfboard, went down our driveway, turned to the left, and he ran ahead of me, tremendously excited, and I screamed out, Geordie, come back.
1: Hey, my name is Nicole Juhan, and I live in North Augusta, South Carolina. These podcasts make me be in awe of God and worship His goodness. The stories of God's redemption bring such hope and motivate me to tell others about His works. I hope you enjoy today's episode and are as hope filled as I am when it's over. I'm Paul Hastings and you're listening to Compelled where we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Our last episode was with Melody Green who was raised in the Jewish tradition, but during the 70s married a fiery young singer named Keith Green who was exploring the teachings of Jesus, a Jewish rabbi who claimed to be the son of God. Alongside her husband, Melody embarked on a personal quest to live a life of sold out devotion to this Messiah. But when God blessed their efforts and grew their ministry with meteoric speed, the unthinkable occurred, thrusting Melody into a season of having to trust God as her shepherd in a valley of dark shadows. Again, you can hear that story in our last episode with Melody Green. Now, believe it or not, today is the season finale of Compelled Season 6, and I'd like you to do a favor for us. Listen all the way to the end of our episode, all the way through the credits, and help us choose what we're going to release next. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun, but we want to hear from you. Today, our guest is Ray Comfort, who as a young man had everything he could want, a thriving business, a beautiful wife, and a successful career in front of him. But when he realized the brevity of life and the finality of death, he began to despair. So gather around, lean in, and join us for the season six finale with this compelling story from the kingdom of God. I first heard about Ray Comfort when I was a young teenager around 2006. The speech and debate club that I was part of had a strong emphasis on evangelism. And some of the evangelism training materials we used were created by a ministry called Way of the Master and featured a fellow named Ray Comfort with a strange accent and an even stranger sense of humor. Fast forward by another 15 years, and today, Ray's ministry is now called Living Waters and has a YouTube channel publishing videos of open-air preaching and man-on-the-street witnessing encounters. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if perhaps you've come across their videos at some point. This summer, I went by the Living Waters headquarters in Los Angeles and sat down at a ping pong table across from the one and only Ray Comfort, who still had the same accent, the same deadpan humor, and the same eagerness to tell others about the Lord. But that journey began over 70 years ago in 1949 in the Southern Hemisphere.
0: Yeah, I was, I was born twice in New Zealand. First time I was born was to a family that uh, wasn't at all, quote, religious. My mum was Jewish. The only thing Jewish about her was she didn't eat pig. She didn't even know who Moses was, and I'm not kidding. I was brought up with no instruction whatsoever. At the age of about 10, a Catholic aunt taught me the Lord's Prayer, and that was it. I said the Lord's Prayer for 10 years every night. as kind of a sleeping pill. Couldn't get to sleep, and I said, gone through that. I could do it in about five seconds, and I'm not kidding meant nothing to me, really, even though I believed in God. I didn't know what a Christian was. I had never, ever been witness to. But yeah, I would have considered myself, someone said, you were a Christian? I said, of course. Uh, I remember hearing people give their testimony on street corners, how Jesus had saved them from alcohol. And I thought, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. So the whole thing uh, was irrelevant to me. I prayed at night, as I said, believed in God, but never knew you had to be born again. I believed he was the son of God. You've asked me. Yeah, absolutely. Total respect for Jesus. Believed he died on a cross. Hadn't got a clue what that meant. And I lived opposite a beach, more than about 50 yards from a beach. I just absolutely loved surfing. And In fact, I trained my mother to raise a flag when I was to come in from my surfboard and come home for dinner. She was well-trained. So I had this tremendous life, very, very happy, and surfing anytime I wanted, and I remember one day, I had this little dog called Geordie that just loved to go to the beach with me. I'd just say beach, and, and he would run around in circles like dogs do, in fact, I love dogs. I think dogs are better than people. People don't wag their tails when they see you coming. But dogs are just so faithful. So he ran around in circles, crazy. I grabbed my new surfboard, went down our driveway, turned to the left, and he ran ahead of me, tremendously excited, and I screamed out, "Geordie, come back. And I, as a young guy, had not trained my dog to be obedient. It just didn't enter my head. And he didn't obey me. He was just excited. He ran onto the road. And I saw this in slow motion. It was a large car hit him. He went under the car, was thrown out the back. I dropped my brand new surfboard on the sidewalk, ran onto the road without looking. I could have been killed too. Grabbed my beloved dog, ran home, sat at the bottom of our driveway with this dog in my arms with a hole in his head and blood dripping out of his mouth. He are still conscious. And suddenly a car pulls up just opposite me and it was the guy that had hit the dog. And a man walked across, put his hand on my shoulder and burst into tears. It was so traumatic. The dog was rushed to the veterinarian and that night they called us and said we had to put him to sleep. And that was the night I was confronted with death not the death of a human being, the death of just a dog, but it hit me. Where is God? Why do people die? Why am I gonna lose my mom and dad, my brother, my sister? Why is not only my dog gonna die of old age, whatever, or be put down, and my grandma, grandpa, everybody dies.
1: Now, obviously, the death of Ray's dog was heart-wrenching for him. But in the grand scheme of things, God was actually using that moment to stir up a spiritual restlessness within Ray's heart. And around the same time that Ray was contemplating the reality and finality of death, he had also entered the workforce.
0: I got a job in a bank. An uncle got me the job. At the same time, this young lady named Sue Hibbert got a job. She was born in England. And the first time I saw her, I was blown away, fell in love. And she didn't like me at all. I was just a silly little guy, as far as she is concerned. A
1: little teenage we Yeah,
0: yeah, and I used to run everywhere. I still do run everywhere. And uh, one day, uh, we had to deliver a remittance from the bank across to the other side of the city. And she had to deliver it. I said, I'll take it on my motorbike. And so when I say motorbike, it was a Honda 50. If it was a headwind, I couldn't go over 30 miles an hour. But she jumped on the back of the bike, and she had to put her arms around me. And when she felt that six pack, no, she fell in love with me. And from then on, we became the best of friends. We were called the parakeets or the budgies because we sat together and had lunch. We'd see each other on the weekends. And uh, we fell in love. And the moment she proposed to me, I said, yes. Actually, she did. She just said to me, why don't we get married? I said, that was a great idea. I remember going and seeing her father, who was a Christian, Christian family. I wasn't a Christian sue had had a false conversion and she got pulled away by me and i had hair on my shoulders i think the idea with surface: you should try and look as much like seaweed as you can i look like seaweed I, my hair was on my shoulders it was sun bleached and i went in and asked his permission sue's dad and i remember what he said he said <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and he took one step backwards but he said yes after his time at the bank ray started his own business His main passion at the time was surfing, so naturally he opened a surf shop and started making custom leather jackets. He was located right across the road from the beach, which allowed him to spend a lot of his non-working hours surfing. But as business began to boom, he realized that he was having the same nagging sensation that he'd had after his dog died. Everything, his dog, his friends, family, and business, would eventually pass away. You may not have heard of an E-type jagger. An
0: E-type Jaguar in those days was similar to a kind of Lamborghini. And I thought, what am I supposed to do? I'm successful as a businessman. I've got all these surfing buddies. I can make money. What do I do? Get an E-type Jaguar? I thought my friends won't even, they'll they'll despise me if I do that. I won't be one of them if if I take that route. And I remember one day as I was making these leather jackets on this wave of surfing and making leather jackets with this movie that came out that made them so popular, a businessman walked into my shop and he stood there and he said, stay small. He'd just retired. And it hit me. He said, you could, you could become tremendously successful, have a factory with all these ladies work, and you're going to have these big tax bills, you're going to have financial worries, you're going to have this and that. He says, stay small. And that was the revelation that I got, stay small, because... Chasing materialism doesn't do anything. It just means you've got more money in the bank. I've got enough as it is. And couple that, seeing the futility of the world with the fact of death, just sent me into that spiral of futility and darkness that nobody knew about that God saw. Like at Ecclesiastes, basically. It was absolutely vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's chasing the wind. And a lot of people don't get that until they're on the deathbed. (laughs) they spend their whole life saving money for what for whom for their relatives they can't wait for them to die and they don't get it and I thank God that I, I got that revelation when I was 20 years old over the next two years not only did I see the futility of life but I saw the futility of material possessions I had an epiphany I began thinking I'm part of the ultimate statistic 10 out of 10 die And it just seemed ridiculous. I had my own business, my own car, my own house, my own wife, everything I wanted materially. And I remember looking at my wife one night, newly married, she'd just gone to sleep, and I wept. And I thought she could be snatched from me by this big, black, horrific thing called death that nobody talks about, the ultimate elephant in the room. And everything material would mean nothing to me. And tears just flowed down my cheeks, and I remember crying out, why?
1: Why? Life didn't make sense. Ray had reached the depths of emptiness and soul-searching. And even though to the outside world he was a successful business owner, happily married, able to follow his passion of surfing, inside he felt no fulfillment from any of that. But God was just about to intervene, which you'll hear about right after the break. If you're a recent college graduate or getting ready to graduate but don't have a job already lined up, then what would you think about moving overseas for nine months and living in a foreign country, receiving spiritual discipleship, and gaining professional skills? If that sounds too good to be true, it's not. It's actually the Global Ambassador Program from ELIC, which has connected Christians to opportunities around the world for the last 40 years, specifically through English education. You'll live with a group of other like-minded Christians your age, either in Tunisia or Thailand, and learn how to engage and serve people from an entirely different culture. Some of those ways might include teaching at a local school, hosting an after-school program, serving refugees, or by volunteering with a local ministry. And you'll get the chance to visit a couple other countries nearby, as well as make lifelong friendships and memories. And if you've never done anything like this before, then don't worry. The experienced team members at ELIC will walk with you every step of the way. If anything I just mentioned sounds intriguing to you, then sign up for an exploratory call. There's no cost. It's just a conversation. Get started at ELIC.org. Again, that's ELIC.org. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which if left unchecked can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need, when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial and experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Welcome back to Compelled. Up to this point in Ray Comfort's life, his pursuit of happiness through earthly success had only brought him emptiness and searching. And while he believed that there was a God and that Jesus was even his son, Ray had no real understanding of his own sin or need for a savior. But it was in the midst of this darkness that God began to show himself.
0: I wasn't crying out to God, I was just crying out. But God heard my prayer and six months later, I was on a surfing trip with a, with a buddy. He had a Bible. He was a Christian, new Christian. And I read the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, where he said, You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. And I thought, well, I'll make it to heaven if there is one, because I've never committed adultery. But then, but then I read the words of Jesus where he said, But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And it was like an arrow hit my chest. It was all over. I thought, man, I'm undone. If God's seen my thought life, I'm in big trouble. And The testimony of scripture is true. Men love darkness rather than the light. Their eyes are full of adultery. We drink a nickery like water, and that perfectly described me. Successful, clean-cut young businessman who was filled with unlawful sexual desire that God had seen. And I never understood the cross until that particular moment. It was very interesting. He was a brand new Christian. He didn't know what he was doing, didn't know how it led me to Christ. We spent six and a half hours together, but I was a new creature. When I came out of that room, looked up in the stars, I was brand new instantly. So I called my wife the next day and I said, Are you lonely? Because we just got married. And for some reason, she let me go on the surfing trip with my buddies without any protest, and I went. And uh, I called her and I said, are you lonely? She said, a little bit. And I said, well, God is with you. <laughs> and I must have been a shock because I'd never talked like that, ever. Um, and I remember the next day, and I cannot tell you what a grip surfing had on me, the next day I didn't want to go surfing. It just absolutely consume me. I was just brand new. I thought, I don't want to go surfing. I just want to read this Bible. And that's a typical conversion. Nothing extraordinary about that. It's just that modern evangelism has watered down the message and we don't see people transformed like Saul of Tarsus was transformed, made new creatures. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Born again, new heart, new desires. And And so uh, as Christians, we need to get back to preaching as the men of old, Spurgeon, Wesley, Whitfield, Moody, didn't compromise the gospel. They preached the bitterness of the medicine because they knew that had the healing properties. And I use an analogy when I'm sharing with people. I say to, let's say you're a doctor and you've got a cure to cancer. And there's a guy in front of you who's got cancerous disease. It's very, very, very serious. But he thinks he's well. He looks well. He's healthy, fit, and great physique. And you've got this cure, and you've looked at his x-rays, and you know he's going to be dead in about two weeks. So what are you going to do, give him the cure or show him the x-rays? And most people say, oh, give him the cure. Just give it to him. I say, no, that, that won't work because he thinks he's well. He's going to say, what are you giving this to me for? I don't want your silly cure. Get it out of my face. A good doctor will show him the x-rays, show him the poison seeping through his system, and make him
1: sweat
0: to a point where he says, wow, doc, I can see what you're saying. This is deadly serious. Now he's ready for the cure. And the cure is the gospel, the x-ray is the Ten Commandments, and that's what happened to me on the night of my conversion. The law cut me in two. It showed me I was terminal to a point where I cried out, what must I do? I had my little personal earthquake, as did the Philippian jailer, or my trembling, as did Felix, and I understood the cross. And I embraced that cure like a dying man embraces a, a life raft or something. And I'm not exaggerating, I exploded with gratitude as a new Christian. I cannot express to you how grateful I was that God took me out of death and futility into life itself. He granted me everlasting life. He gave me heaven instead of hell. And in those days, gratitude was a high-octane fuel that drove me to do the will of God. I purchased a 34-seater Bedford bus and put scripture around the outside and Twelve-inch-high professional lettering: "The gift of God is eternal life." Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." I sign-wrote my car professionally with scripture on it. I put the Bible from John chapter three, verses one to sixteen, on the front window in three-inch-high lettering of my store. I had on the on the doorway scripture. I mean, I don't know how people got into my store and. I even got a printing press and put it in my home and put a billboard outside our house with scripture on it. I got on a soapbox and began preaching in the local square in the the heart of the city, a city of 350,000 people, the city of Christchurch. And how old were you at this point? I was 22. And you're just doing all this? Yeah, I was giving out tracts, witnessing to anyone. And if anyone could have been considered a religious fanatic in those days, it was me. Nowadays, I am much worse. I am still exploding with gratitude as I get close. I'm coming up to 74. Hardly, I may not finish this interview, but I'm so grateful. I was just thinking if I was coming here, only a Christian can have a happy death day. You know, we talk about happy birthdays. Well, Christian has a death, has lost its sting. And so that's my motivation as a Christian, to share my faith, because God took me out of darkness into his glorious light.
1: The fruit of the gospel was immediately visible in Ray's life. And while others often saw his fire for Jesus as crazy and obnoxious, Ray continued to look for more ways to share what Christ had done on the cross. And as Ray was obedient to God's leading in his life, things began to change.
0: Something was very interesting, I had a Gethsemane experience probably about a month after I became a Christian. By that I mean, I realized what I had in Christ
1: everlasting
0: life death had lost its sting and so i decided i'd give my life to christ but i decided i would give him everything with my teeth gritted sweat drops of blood and then say not my will but yours be done and i did that on my knees i think if i remember rightly in my business and it was either the same day or the next day a gentleman walked into my store and said you're out of here you don't even have a lease And it was just month to month and pay this guy for this building, and so he kicked me out. So I started working from home, and the city came and said, you cannot have an industrial sewing machine in your home. That's that's a factory. So I got kicked out of my home and had to move to a a, a place six miles from our house and set up business in a small building. And I remember I shared doors with a barber, and it was very interesting. Yeah, what happened is that when I was a, a... a non-Christian, must have been about 18 or 19, I went, because there was no surf, around to a cliff edge and I watched all my buddies jump off a cliff, uh, about a 50-foot cliff into a pool of water and one of them jumped first to see how deep the water was. And I remember standing back and saying, I would never do this. These guys are so crazy because they love surfing. No surf, they've got to get an adrenaline rush. I thought, I so, I so want to show respect for this precious life. I would never even go near a cliff's edge. And so these guys that were so tempted to do things like that, get in a, to get in a adrenaline rush, were ripe for drugs when they came to the area. And so they got into drugs, tried to get me into it, and I said, no, I'm not interested. And they got into uh, what was called palphium, which was a synthetic heroin, and it killed two or three of them. another one committed suicide, jumping off a, a cliff, killing herself on LSD. Another one got into a fight over drugs and was stabbed and died in front of his friends. Just said, tell my family I love them. And so I put out a little pamphlet called My Friends Are Dying and uh, a trust gave me a, a large amount of money so I decided to write a book and the book became a national bestseller. And that opened a door for me to start a drug prevention center which I started in High Street which is an unfortunate choice of street names for a drug center. The barber one day got me into a store. I was good friends with him. He said, i got to tell you something very interesting. He said, my clients for years have come in and looked at what you've done to your store with Bible verses everywhere, and they'd just be just disgusted and say, ah, just didn't have any words to say. But he said, since you got into, quote, drug prevention work, these same guys that look down on you are saying, and a great job, that young man next door. And what it was was Scripture where it says, so is the will of God that by your well-doing you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it really showed the importance of Christians being rich in good works because if you just preach and don't have a lifestyle that shows that the love of God dwells within you, It won't hold much water, but it just blew me away that that barb would take me aside and say, these guys now admire you. And it was because I would got into drug prevention work. And it also opened up uh, an itinerant ministry because churches hear about me preaching in the local square, which I did daily for 12 years. Oh, let me tell you how that happened because I didn't plan to do that. When I was 16, I made a speech about surfing in my class and I just dried up in front of my classmates. The nightmare of every person is your mind going blank while you're making a speech. That happened to me in front of my peers. I was humiliated. I sat down in that classroom and thought I'll never open my mouth in public again, ever, ever. And yet that's the first thing I did when I became a Christian because I thought this is too important to worry about my feelings. Now, sitting in a bus as a two-year-old Christian going to work six miles away from our home, and I looked at all these people kind of bouncing along in the bus, and I thought, Most of these people probably are unsaved. If They die in their sins. They're going to hell. I've found everlasting life. I should just stand up on this bus and preach to them. And I thought the bus would stop and the driver and these people would throw me off. So I prayed a very dangerous prayer. I said, oh, God, if there was just somewhere where I could preach the gospel, where people could crowd around and listen, I would do it. Knowing that there was no such thing in our city. You can't gather like that. It's called an unlawful assembly. You've got to have a permit to gather a group of people. About two weeks later, they legalized public speaking in our city. It had never happened before. And that was because a man known as the Wizard, his real name was N. Brackleberry Channel, uh, had started speaking to crowds. He would dress as a wizard with a black wizard hat. And he was very eloquent and funny. He would say things like, why do we pay our doctors when we're sick? We should pay them for every month we're well and then that have an incentive to keep us well. And crowds were just so fascinated by his so-called wisdom. The city said you cannot do that and they broke up his crowd. So he got a chalkboard and began writing to the crowd and the crowd just loved it and the media latched onto it and he humiliated the local city, the council, and so they legalized public speaking in an area called Speaker's Corner, like Hyde Park in London. And I remember seeing that and saying oh god two weeks earlier would you just open up somewhere where i could speak and thought to myself what an answer to prayer horrors and i was <laughs> terrified and so i didn't think about it for i think another two weeks Then i remember opening up a newspaper and seeing a picture of an elderly woman with a violin and underneath it said the bible lady sharing her christian testimony in speaker's corner And I felt humiliated that a little old lady was doing what I should do. And so I went into that speaker's corner, stood there, looked at the crowd that was sitting around, and I thought, this is it. And I did it, and that was the first time of 3,000 times. Didn't dry up. things went fine. No one stoned me to death, my fears weren't realised, and only once or twice did I get beaten up in 3,000 times.
1: Ray's obedience to God, even in the middle of his own fear and discomfort, continued to open more doors. Soon, he began to get invitations from all across New Zealand and Australia to teach others in the church how to effectively share the gospel with the unsaved. Ray eventually shut down his leather shop and began itinerant preaching full-time, mostly in New Zealand, but occasionally traveling as far as Hawaii to share his message with local congregations, which is when he received an interesting call. I was teaching in
0: Hawaii and a pastor sat in from California, Calvary Chapel pastor, and he disagreed with what I said at first until I gave him a whole stack of scriptures to check up. And he began to call me in New Zealand and say things like, America must hear this message. Would you come across to the U.S. and teach it in the United States? And the principle of the message was this. You never, ever give someone a cure without first giving them the knowledge of the disease. And what modern evangelism had done was that it would always give the cure. It would preach Christ crucified, it would preach the gospel, Jesus said preach the gospel to every creature. And it had enhanced the gospel with benefits such as Jesus will fix your marriage, help your drug problem, help your alcohol problem, take away your loneliness. So what it did is it it messed up the real reason for coming to the Savior. Sinners come to the Savior to flee from the wrath to come, not to improve their lifestyle. You put on a parachute not to improve your flight on the plane, but to save you from the jump to come. And so I produced this teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secret, where it talked about a man on a plane, it was given a parachute because he was told it would improve his flight. When the flight got bumpy, he took it off, it threw it down, and became disillusioned. And that's because this motive for putting on the parachute was erroneous. The correct reason to put on a parachute, if the plane is going to crash, is to save you from the jump that's to come. And the reason we should come to Christ is not to have a better lifestyle. I already had a good lifestyle before I came to Christ. It's to save us from God's wrath on Judgment Day. And so this pastor heard the teaching and said, come and teach this in the United States. So I came over uprooted everything and took my wife and three kids to Southern California and did nothing for three years while I waited for God to open doors. It was very frustrating because nobody knew who I was. Who's going to let a stranger into your pulpit?
1: Were you questioning yourself, like, am I doing the right thing that God wants me to do? Like, did I make the wrong call coming to the U.S.? Or was there a moment like that?
0: No, never. And it's because of a principle I've used for many years. People wait on God for his will. And my whole thought was the starting gun's gone. It's Blasted! Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I studied Mark 16 verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and saw what the original word for go was, all and everywhere. Go in the original Greek means to go. All means all and every creature means every. So when Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So people say, how do you know who to witness to? And my whole criteria is, are they breathing?
1: For three years, Ray continued to share the gospel with everyone he could, including random strangers on the street, at the supermarket, or at the beach. But that seemed to be the extent of the doors that God was going to open. But then, a switch flipped. Out of the blue, an influential pastor heard Ray's simple message about hell's best-kept secret and invited him to speak at a conference with over a thousand pastors in California. Ray's message was turned into a video and screened to another 30,000 pastors the following year. But there was one more connection God was going to make which would give Ray the opportunity to share the true gospel with millions. More on that after the break. If you're the parent of a high schooler or a recent high school graduate that I'm talking to you, have you ever been concerned about your student's career prospects or their financial future after high school? Or have you looked for ways to help them bolster their faith in the Lord as they pursue the next chapter in their life? Whether it's through continued education in college, jumping straight into a career, or working in the trades, Unbound trains students just like yours to thrive wherever God calls them. Unbound teaches young adults how to engage with the real world by equipping them to own their purpose, serve others, and live resiliently for the glory of God. They accomplish this through an intentional mixture of live events, practical skills training, and project-based education. And with programs available for students still in high school or post high school, Unbound is ready to help your student prepare for what comes next. I personally know the team at Unbound and they are excellent at what they do. And they enjoy listening to Compelled every week, which is probably why they've been one of our longest running podcast sponsors. Learn more at beunbound.us slash compelled. Again, that's beunbound.us slash compelled. Recently, my family has been enjoying Redeem TV. They're a Christian streaming service that's ad-free and fee-free, with over a quarter million subscribers spread throughout the world. We love their wide selection of movies, documentaries, and children's programming. And their library of edifying titles is always growing and is sure to have something for you. For your next family movie night, I encourage you to visit RedeemTV.com or download one of their apps to your device or smart TV and start streaming goodness wherever you go. And don't forget, they have no fees and no ads. Get started at RedeemTV.com. Welcome back to Compelled. We just heard how God was using Ray to teach and minister to tens of thousands of pastors and churches across the U.S., bringing his training of how to share the gospel to those in need of a Savior. And one of those individual church members who saw Ray's training, Hell's Best Kept Secret, just happened to be the Hollywood actor Kirk Cameron, best known at the time for his role as a teen star in the 80s sitcom Growing Pains. Kirk was already a Christian and was interested in evangelism, but wasn't sure how to go about it. And he said it blew him away. He listened
0: to it twice, first time didn't understand it, second time he understood it, and he said, would you combine ministries? So we combined ministries. He was frustrated for 12 months, kept saying to me, how can we get this teaching to the church? And uh, he was invited to speak on a large television program, and so we took my Bible and preached that sermon live on television, and our website got over a million hits the next day. It collapsed. And so the television network asked if we'd come back and create a program uh, telling people how to share their faith biblically, and we did. And it's now in its ninth season, and it's aired in 190 countries called Way of the Master. Christian television normally wouldn't touch me with a barge pole, and Kurt has given me permission to say this, um having Kirk and I as partners in the gospel was kind of like jalapeno being wrapped in candy. Everyone just said, oh, Kirk Cameron. You know, everyone loved Kirk. Growing, For growing pains. Growing pains and left behind movies. So uh, I snuck in and got to preach biblical truths that normally wouldn't get on Christian television. And I remember hearing my new pastor, he knelt down and we prayed together and he said, Lord, get the pastors out of the way. Let this teaching get to the church. And uh, that's exactly what happened
1: through the Christian television program. It went straight to the church worldwide. Today, Ray is still as passionate about his faith as ever before, sharing the gospel with strangers while also trying to encourage other Christians to share their faith as well. I go to a local college and I take my, my camera and I interview people every day.
0: And I've seen just so many wonderful divine encounters. And by that I mean... Just yesterday, I went and I said, I'm not going to go that way, I'm going this way, completely different direction to the local college. Saw a girl sitting on grass and said, would you like to be on YouTube? Over 248 million views if you're interested. She says, yeah, I want to ask if there's an afterlife. Sat down with her, doing a program on aliens at the moment. So I started off with that. And I said, do you believe in God? She says, no, I don't. I said, well, that's crazy. I said, an atheist believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Flowers and birds and trees and seasons and the marvels of the human eye and the miracle of childbirth, male and female. It wasn't nothing in the beginning. An atheist believes that nothing created all those things. And I saw her backslide from atheism immediately to realize that atheism is utter foolishness. And then I did what I normally do. I appealed to a conscience. I said, if you stand before God on judgment day, are you a good person? Are you going to make it there? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God is giving you death for your sins. That's his payment for your sins. Wages, like a judge gives a criminal the electric chair. That's what he earned. That's what he deserves. I said, are you worthy of the death sentence? Do you think God is justified or are you a good person? She said, I'm a good person. And I took her through the commandments. She had the gospel with her and he ended up praying with her and she just looked at me and said, I can't tell you what this has meant to me today. And it was a divine encounter really was God leading me to someone whose heart he had prepared. And it's almost daily like that, and it's just so exciting. And I believe that's what the abundant life is about. People think the abundant life is prosperity. Well, I don't think so. Abundant just means full. And the Apostle Paul had a full life of beatings, stoning, shipwreck, imprisonment, and martyrdom. It wasn't a happy life for the Apostle Paul in that superficial sense. But when you're a Christian, death has lost its sting, and God supernaturally guides you to people he's prepared to hear the gospel, and that's tremendously exciting.
1: While Ray has had the privilege to see Christ at work and countless souls saved, that doesn't mean everyone who hears the gospel is receptive to it, far from it. In fact, Ray has experienced his own share of pushback and heckling, and a few times has even been physically assaulted. But when Ray feels discouraged, he reminds himself of the truth about the actual situation.
0: Yeah, I get lots of discouragement. I battle fear daily. Fear never leaves you as a Christian. It's always there. It's, uh, it's something you just have to realize and overcome. Like a firefighter, he arrives at a fire and he looks up and the fifth story and the lady screaming out. She's got children clinging to her and there's flames right behind her. She's going to die. Firefighter could say, yikes, I'd rather be home with my wife watching a good old black and white movie on TV. But he's a firefighter. He's got to climb a 60-foot ladder and grab a woman who's almost on fire with her kids while she screams. Is he going to be fearful? Absolutely. But he ignores his fears because he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of that woman and the fate of her children. And that's exactly what we should be like as Christians. Jude 23, 24, others, having compassion, making a difference, pulling them from the fire, hating them in the garment spotted by the flesh. So when fear comes or dis Encouragement comes when my courage is ripped from me I take no notice I got discouraged the other day a husband and wife walked off on me in the middle of an interview just said nope we don't care what the Bible says so I take a cue from Jesus with a rich young ruler rich young ruler walked off on Jesus he just walked off sorrowful he didn't fall on his knees And so we should look at Jesus and realize he was never discouraged. The Bible says that in the book of Isaiah, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. He never lost his courage because he knew he cannot fail. And that's the attitude for the Christian. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord, for you know your labor is not in vain. And that's what we should take our cue from. But when it comes to open air preaching, I absolutely love hecklers. They're the best thing that could happen in an open air situation. If you look at what happened with Jesus, he had great crowds and you see people asking questions. And the Pharisees hated him. And so we read scripture passively, but I'm sure there was anger in their tone sometimes when they called out things to him. And that's where we get some of the great truths of scripture, because somebody asked Jesus a question. So when I get a heckler, I just remember to. Soft answer turns away wrath, and it certainly does. And uh, use the heckler as a springboard for the gospel. In fact, I encourage them. I say, come and talk to me. Get up on the box. Give you, I'll give you 20 bucks if you prove to be a good person. Come on, let's go through the good test and go through those commandments, see how you do. And it really works good. And we give away money, actually, in open-air preaching. I take a stack of $1 bills. It's called a singles ministry. And we just start off by saying to the crowd, anyone here know the capital of France? Anyone? Yeah, Paris, you got it, here's a dollar. And people laugh because the questions are so dumb and so easy and people are getting money and then we just say to the person over here who's got confidence, want to get up on the soapbox some more? See if you're a good person, you get 20 bucks if you pass. I'll give you 10 anyway, or I'll give you the 20 anyway, no matter what for being good sport. So hecklers are a real good thing to happen in open air preaching. Mention about soft answer turning away wrath and it really does work When it comes to an angry person if you're open-air preaching just talk softly and try and distract them i remember one lady came up to me and she was really mad she was swearing away and i just said to her that's a nice sweater and she said oh yes yes and she started telling me about the sweater so there are certain things you can do to get out of being being beaten up one of my favorite bible verses is if you're persecuted in one city flee to the next someone wants to stone me to death they've got to catch me first
1: define beaten up what does that mean
0: Well, it was my fault. A woman came up to me and said, I don't like what you, and she swore what you said. And I looked at her and I said, sounds like there's some demons in there. I shouldn't have said that. And that's when she slapped my face and confirmed it. And then another drunk tried to beat me up and he missed. I was able to... um, He couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag. And another guy showed up in the square holding a can of gasoline and started screaming at me, get out of my way. I think he screamed that about 30 times. And uh, he's carrying this can of gasoline. I thought, Lord, I want to be on fire for you, but I don't want to go that way. Anyway, two police officers showed up and arrested him and took them 20 minutes to get rid of him uh, because he was really full of demons. But another time I got beaten up and this was my fault also. I was preaching open air in Santa Monica, back in the late 1990s, had a crowd of about 30 or 40 people when a lady or sorry, a woman started cussing at me, the F word, F bomb. And I said, Madam, can you watch your language? There are ladies present. I shouldn't have said that. She said, I'm a lady. I said, Madam, you may be a woman, but you are not a lady. At that, she ran at me like a Bat out of heaven and started beating me up. And it wasn't like scratch, scratch, pull hair. It was like she was Mike Tyson's sister. She just went, <laughs> got in six punches, laid me out on the ground. My team pulled her back, held on to her, and as I was getting up, she said, Let me get my handbag. And they let her go and she got in a kidney punch. It took two weeks for the bruising to go. Anyway, she doubled my crowd so she could come back anytime.
1: Wow. That sounds quite exciting. And that was
0: my fault. I should have just kept my mouth shut.
1: As we wrapped up our conversation, Ray had an encouragement for every believer listening to Compelled. I've seen wonderful things happen, but sometimes it takes
0: time. Um, all those years preaching in the square, I was sowing in tears, hardly seeing any fruit. Lots of hecklers, people saying, get out of here. wasn't until I came to the U.S. that I started hearing of people getting saved back in New Zealand. It was like God says, get out of the way now. Now I'm going to bring increase back here. And so it's, we sow, God gives the increase. Someone else reaps. Let me just share something with you that's my biggest weapon when it comes to sharing the gospel. The biggest thing that I use to get rid of my fears. Because every Zacchaeus turns into a Goliath the moment I want to witness to him. Sitting next to a man in a plane, he's a businessman. I turn to him and think, oh, what am I going to say to this guy? He becomes a Goliath to me. And so i have years for years been very nervous about witnessing to people on planes i still did it but i discovered something about 30 years ago that slew goliath and this is it i just ask strangers do you think there's an afterlife do you think there's an afterlife i don't mention jesus god heaven hell sin righteousness judgment the blood of christ all these things that make us and them feel a little uncomfortable i just ask for his opinion Do you think there's an afterlife? There's something called relationship evangelism where you build relationships for a couple of years before you get the right to witness to people. I believe in that. Sometimes I'll wait up to two, maybe three minutes building that relationship. And this is how I do it. Let's say we're at the ministry and there's a plumber. He's fixing something under the sink. I come walking, don't know who the guy is. I walk up and say, hey, how you doing? He says, good. I say, I'm Ray. He says, I'm Eric. I say, Eric, do you think there's an afterlife? That's 11 seconds. It's not two years because he could die while I mess around with my fears for two years. And he says, "God, I don't know. So do you think heaven exists? He says, I hope so. His I hope so just dissipated my fears. He's not antichrist. He didn't stab me to death. He's a human being with a will to live. God's put eternity upon his heart, and he's hoping to get to heaven. And so I just said, well, are you a good person? Are you going to make it there? He says, yeah, I think I'm a good person. Scripture says, most every man will proclaim his own goodness. It's very predictable. I say, well, let's look at the commandments, see how you're going to do. And that's when I say Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery in the heart. you ever done that? He says, I do it all the time. And his conscience is bearing witness. Romans 2 verse 15, the work of the law is written upon his heart, the conscience bearing witness. And so I have this witness and the help of the Holy Spirit, and that has been an absolute key to me. Any stranger, it doesn't matter whether it's Einstein or just a politician, I can witness to him because I'm not going for his intellect. I'm going for his conscience. And that conscience is going to agree with the commandment. One thing I would like to say is that often on our YouTube channel, there are comments where people say, oh, I wish you could witness to my husband or my son, who's wayward. Uh, And I say, well, just use our videos, just send it to them and say, hubby, I'd like to know what you think of this. Don't say, husband, I want you to watch this religious video. He's gonna get his fur up on the back of his neck. But if you say to him, I'd like to know what you think of this, you're appealing to his ego. And he's more likely to watch it and give his opinion and come under the sound of the gospel. So that's one thing I'd encourage people to do. If you go to our YouTube channel, watch the videos, don't say, oh, that was great. My uncle would like that. Just send it to him and say, I'd like to know what you think of this. And that, that will spread the power of the gospel. And let more come into the sound of uh, this wonderful message that we have in Christ.
1: Amen. Ray, thank you for your time, In It's been a joy. I will be the first to admit that I can feel intimidated when sharing the gospel with strangers or even friends, but Jesus does not make it optional. In fact, the very last words he says to his disciples before ascending into heaven are recorded in Matthew 28. In verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But a little later, he provides some encouragement to those who may be fearful by saying, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A recurring theme that we've seen so many times in compel testimonies is that the gospel is so often presented by just a regular Christian without some unique gifting or credentials, but Jesus is still there with them. In Ray's case, he heard the gospel for the very first time from a brand new convert, the surfing buddy who had only been following Jesus for six months prior. His friend wasn't especially articulate or prepared, he just shared. And God used that moment of faithfulness one night in New Zealand to open Ray's eyes. And then God proceeded to use Ray's faithfulness to share the true gospel on a street corner in Christchurch, New Zealand for 12 years then with thousands of pastors in America, millions more on Christian network television, and today countless others on YouTube and social media. But it all begins with simple faithfulness to share the hope of Christ. And maybe even today, God is prompting you to text a friend or neighbor right now and ask them to meet up so that you can share some good news with them. If you'd like to learn more about Ray, his ministry, or find further advice and resources about sharing your faith, just visit livingwaters.com. Now, I told you at the beginning of the episode to listen all the way through so that you can learn what's coming next. Because after all, today is the season finale. There are no more episodes of Compelled coming out for the rest of the year. Or are there? So listen up, there are three things I want to share, and normally marketers will tell you it's a terrible idea to have three calls to action, but I'm gonna do it anyways, because I'm trusting you, okay? So so remember these, there's a lot to tell you, so please don't let me down. The first item is that our end of year video celebration is next Monday, November 20th at 8 p.m. Central. Come and join me and the rest of the team who makes Compelled and other listeners and maybe some guests, who knows. Come and join us on a live video call and celebrate what God has done and what he's continuing to do through the podcast. Come and hang out with us. We wanna know who you are. Again, that's next Monday, November 20th at 8 p.m. Central. If you want the invite link, head over to compelledpodcast.com slash celebrate. The second thing is that we are fundraising right now to create our episodes for next year. The loose plan is to release two seasons of 10 episodes each next year. One in the spring, one in the fall. That's 20 episodes total released every other week with some breaks in between for holidays. Now that's not set in stone, but that's what we're praying and planning towards. You know, I've been working full-time on Compelled since July of last year, so that's 17 months. And this is how we feed our family and also pay our team members, cover travel expenses, replace recording equipment, licensed software and music and sound effects. You get the idea, It, it adds up. And while we run advertising and are so grateful for our advertisers, and frankly, I actually enjoy telling you about the resources that we already use as a family, but advertising doesn't cover everything. So that's why we rely on you, our listeners, to help us at the end of the year. Last year, we asked you, our listeners, to help us raise $40,000, and you did. And we are so incredibly grateful for that. Without you, we would not be able to create these stories. And thanks to you, compelled episodes were listened to over half a million times this year. And our growth rate is actually really strong right now, and we're currently on place to do a million downloads next year. This winter, we're hoping to raise $50,000. And obviously, God is the one who knows whether or not we'll raise that. It's his money after all, and you and I are just the stewards. But if you feel led by God to join us in this work, then head over to CompoundPodcast.com slash donate. We'll also have a tracker over there so you can see the progress that we're making. If you already give to us monthly, then thank you. Your continued and consistent support helps us make long-term planning decisions. Phew, okay, that was a lot. And that was only the second item I was gonna tell you about. Here's the third and final item. Between now and our next release season, we're going to be releasing some special bonus content, which will be unlike anything that we've ever done before. But we want you to help us choose. We'd like you, our listeners, to vote on what we should release each week. Whatever gets the most votes is what we're going to release the following week, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you some of the options right now, okay? But these might change, but here are the current options. Option A, a behind-the-scenes interview with me and Sarah telling our story of how we ended up creating Compelled and how the show has played a role in our Christian walk. Option B, a full-length behind-the-scenes interview with one of our existing guests. This will be the full length interview, no editing, no music, just the raw interview as it happened, full of all the extra amazing stories that we did not have time to include in one of our regular episodes. If you're one of our monthly donors, then you actually already have access to all of those episodes through your behind the scenes content. Option C, an Ask Us Anything episode. You'll submit questions ahead of time and ask us anything that you want to. You can ask me, my wife, the team, any question you want, ranging from our backgrounds to theology to how we make the show to our favorite food groups or our favorite podcasts to listen to or anything in between. Within reason, we'll do our best to answer all of those questions in a single recording session. Option D, a full-blown episode drop from another podcast. So believe it or not, there are actually several other Christian podcasts that, similarly to Compelled, use immersive storytelling to showcase God's kingdom at work. And I've mentioned a handful of those through ads in the past, but there are many more that I know about that I've never told you about, and I'd love to do that and curate some of those shows for you to consider listening to as well. Okay, so that's just four options right now, and that's what I can think of off the top of my head, and there will probably be some more options as we start doing this. If you'd like to vote and tell us what bonus episode you'd like to hear next, then head over to compelledpodcast.com vote and let us know. And that's the last thing I was gonna tell you about, okay? So to recap, join us for our video call celebration next Monday night, that's November 20th at 8 p.m. Central. Please pray about contributing toward our $50,000 goal for next year's podcast episodes. And finally, help us choose our bonus content for the next few weeks by voting. You'll find links to everything I've mentioned on our website, compelledpodcast.com. Just look in the navigation bar. Today's episode was edited by Will Jackson, story editing by Nathan Webster, sound engineering by Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is my patient wife, Sarah Hastings. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. Lord willing, we'll be back in just a few weeks with some bonus content. We'll see you then. Three times a week, I get my news from the pour-over today, which in nine minutes or less gives me the entire day's news and saves me from endless doom scrolling. They hit the highlights and then offer a Christian perspective and a relevant piece of scripture, which helps me remember to keep a Christ-focused outlook on whatever I hear in the news. And we already know it. 2024 is going to be crazy with a presidential election in america and ongoing wars in ukraine and israel and who knows what's even going on with the global economy in the midst of a tough divisive year i'm grateful to have the pour over keeping me informed of current events but also rooted in christ i've been faithfully consuming the pour over three times every week for the last four years and i think you'll find it helpful too and the best part it's free doesn't cost a penny Start listening by searching on your podcast app for The Pour Over today or subscribe to their email newsletter, which has the exact same content at thepourover.org. Again, that's thepourover.org.